Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. And joining me today is Corey Teleba, who does the Hardwood Herald YouTube videos. If you've not seen these, they are amazing. This is where I got probably 90% of my draft opinion, so really I'm just a proxy for Corey. Uh, when you've listened to my previous shows, and I thought I could bring him on the show so you could hear him for yourself. Uh, just the best produced draft podcasts I've seen out there. They're awesome. Um, I just wish there were even more of them, but I, I've loved the content so much. Corey, welcome to the show. Hey, Doug, thanks for having me. This is an, an, an honor, man. Uh, you know, I'm a longtime real GM guy, so um, you know, I love when I actually get to converse with, with people kind of in real life. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm super excited. And, you know, oddly enough, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about my videos, they talk about, like, the graphics and whatnot. You know, I got my, my start kind of with graphics on, on the real GM, like, uh, graphics board. So, uh, yeah, thank you, uh, you know, for the compliments. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I love, you know, it's, it's subtle, but one of the things I love about your videos is I love just, like, the background music you have going <laughs> through the whole thing. It's just, like, a simple beat, but it, it really, like... It just makes it so much easier. Anyway, Hardwood Herald, go check out the videos. They're all – I always search for them by film sesh and then, like, the player name. Uh, I, I know Hardwood Herald also brings them up, but they're they are tremendous. If you've not seen them for some reason and you listen to the show, which I've already pointed them out on the show before, so you probably have. But if not, go check them out. Uh, so, Corey, maybe let's just start with – I want you to give me your top ten guys. I'll let you choose. You can either count down from ten to one or one to ten, <laughs> up to you, whatever you think is more dramatic. And uh, just kind of give me your list. We'll we'll kind of discuss some of the guys individually. But now, for now, just start with just the list without the kind of explanation. All right. Well, I'll I'll go um, from one to ten because I think the guys at the top aren't necessarily you know the kind of guys the Bulls are uh, not necessarily interested in, but fit the Bulls the best. But I actually have James Wiseman at number one. Um, number two, I have Anthony Edwards. Three, I have Lamelo Ball. Four, I have Denny Abdia. Five, I have Kyra Lewis Jr. Six, I have Devin Vassell. Seven, Killian Hayes. Eight, Obi Toppin. Nine, Anyaka Kongwu. And ten, Tyrese Maxey. Wow, that is that is a crazy list relative to everyone else that I have seen do the draft. Maybe not crazy, but that's that's a little out there. You have Kyra Lewis Jr. way ahead of everyone else. And it's funny, I had a question in there, like, who is, like, your number one guy who wasn't on your top ten? And I thought that guy was going to be Kyra Lewis Jr., <laughs> but he's actually number five because I, I thought like watching him like, man, this guy seems so much more impressive than like where he is rated on any of the mock drafts. And so it's interesting that you have him so high. The other thing that really stood out to me is you might be the only person I've seen who has James Wiseman number one. He seems to be slipping on a lot of the boards. ESPN just had something with their three draft guys and they had him uh, below and Yeka Kanwu. Uh, so that that also struck me. I'm also a big Wiseman fan. So. I'm I'm excited to hear that you have number one. I've actually been maybe just a little scared to put him at number one just because no one else has him at number one. But now I feel actually much better uh, about my about my list. Um, so that that's great to hear. Maybe tell me a little bit um, about uh, why you think so highly of uh, Carol Lewis Jr. Because I think that's probably the most surprising of all of the things you had on your list. Yeah. So you know, the first time I watched uh, Carol Lewis Jr. I went immediately and checked out like where all of the the big boards and mock drafts kind of had him placed. And I was like floored that 
he was being mocked in like the, the late twenties, uh, maybe even the second round at the time. I mean, this is so long ago. It feels like another lifetime. And I, I, I tweeted out like, can somebody explain to me why this kid isn't a consensus lottery pick at the worst? You know, I'm thinking like this guy should so obviously be a top 10 guy in a draft that everybody seems to think is so, is so bad. But when you look at his game, you know, it just screams NBA to me. There's a lot of guys who are really impressive in a college setting, and there's a number of reasons. You know, the maybe they have a physical advantage. Maybe they have a little bit more experience than, than some of the guys they're playing against. You know, the talent on the teams. Um, and, and it can kind of skew things. But to me, Kyra Lewis's game just fits the NBA mold so well. He is a blaze on the court. You know, kind of that Kobe White, Darren Fox uh, kind of guard where – he can go end to end so quick or he'll leak out and get an open layup just because he can beat everybody down the floor. But he's not just a speed guy because, you know, RJ Barrett is kind of the, the physical tool, but kind of, you know, he's the guy who could drive the car really fast, but can't really control it. Kyra Lewis has control of the car. So to me, you know, his speed in a league that really, you know, just wants guards that could thrive in, in space and pace just his speed alone to me is an elite skill that a lot of other players don't have. Then you add to the fact that he's skilled. You know, he's not like a bad shooter. He's again, he's not RJ Hampton who is fast, but can't shoot. So, you know, teams are going to go under on screens and just pack the paint and, and make him pay. And he's not going to be able to use his speed in the half court. Kyra Lewis could shoot, you know, he shot 37% from three and it's not like they were catch and shoot. You know, he's shooting off the bounce. He's, you know, hitting step backs. And um, he's doing it without the use of a screen a lot of the times. So you can't go under on him because he'll knock down the shot. And, and if you chase him around, you go over, he's a guy that's going to be able to use that speed and beat you into the paint. And then, you know, I think he's a good passer. I, I think the, the knock on him is that people don't really know that he could pass. Like, I think he had one of the most impressive passes of any player in the draft in his game against North Carolina, where he came off the left wing, beat his man, and when the defense collapsed, he hit a live dribble left-handed whip pass through multiple defenders to the weak side wing. I was floored, and he does that a lot. And because he gets into the paint so quickly and defenses have to recover, you can, you know, he'll hit guys cutting back door, taking advantage because of all. I think to me, you know, he is just the epitome of what the NBA represents from this draft class. And I think he's the guy that, you know, if he drops out of that top 10, maybe goes back lottery or even slips out, he's going to be the guy that you kind of look at in that like Donovan Mitchell mode uh, where you go, how did we miss this? Um, and to me, it popped off the screen immediately. So that that's why I have him so uh, so high. I You know, I think that while I have him fifth, there, there are a lot of teams at the top that don't necessarily need point guards. So I do think he might, you know, drop to like the, the eight range, you know, with New York nine, 10, you know, he can, he can go in that spot. But to me, I have him as a top five player in, in the draft. I mean, I, I almost feel sold now. I feel like I have to shake up my top 10 and find a way to stick him in there. I, I, I kind of wanted to before. And so here's, here are the things I thought watching him. I'm like, one, he's a sophomore. And so I give him a little bit of a downgrade for that. Two is like super light. Like, he's a really mm-hmm. small guy, so like he's, he's definitely not going to be a two-position guy, at least right out of the box. Like, he would need to make massive changes to his body to kind of be a, a shooting guard as well. Like, he's a pure point guard. And then I thought, and you, you addressed this a little bit, I thought you know, his assist-turnover ratio, the amount of turnovers he has versus the amount of assists, a little bit bad for a guy who's a pure point guard. 
I looked at him and I thought like Lou Williams uh, mm-hmm. was kind of like my comparison uh, when watching him, especially his game. Like he's crafty, getting to the rim very fast. I agree with you. Is he'll shoot maybe not a super elite shooter, but the one thing I think people get caught up in when they're watching these guys, they look at this three point percentage, and if you don't actually go and look at all the film of the guys and you just see one guy's 39%, one guy's 37% or whatever, you might feel, well, 39 is better than 37. But what really makes a big difference, and you alluded to it already, is what kind of shots are they taking? Are you taking step-back shots? Are you taking off the dribble shots? Are you taking only kick-out threes from the corner? Uh, and that makes a huge difference. And so maybe someone like Obi Toppin is you know, mostly shooting catch-and-shoots, and someone like Kara Lewis and you know, guy maybe we'll talk about in a little bit, Anthony Edwards, who didn't have a great shooting percentage, but he's shooting like, you know, all, you know, off the dribble threes from like six feet behind the line, like which are really terrible shots he shouldn't shoot. But that's why his percentage is like so <laughs> low. It's so he needs to stop doing that. But it's not like he's he's like shooting really bad from these like low, you know, like really easy shots. He's, he's shooting really bad because he's shooting crazy stupid shots. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I I thought Carol Lewis Jr. actually kind of. Uh, Kind of fit. Do you, I mean, do you think Lou Williams is a decent comparison there? Do you see uh, something like more upside uh, than that to him? I I think he has. Uh, Lou Williams has turned himself into a really good player. So uh, you know, if that turns out to be his upside, I think that um, that wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world. I think that's a pretty high floor. Um, but I do think he could be a starting level player. The one thing I'll mention, like you know, you mentioned he's a sophomore. He's actually a an extremely young sophomore. He, you know, if you look at Patrick Williams, who's one of the youngest players in the draft, he's only three months older. He literally wasn't old enough to get drafted last year as a freshman. He is a year younger than a guy like Cole Anthony is. So, you know, his age um, to me is one of the things I think people don't realize about him because he is a sophomore, but um, you know, some of the other things you alluded to. Yeah. Uh, I do think Lou Williams is a pretty good comp because he is a guy I think that's going to be able to score pretty, pretty effortlessly as, as he matures his game. But um, I do think that, you know, early on in Lou Williams career, he was a little erratic, you know, a a little chucky. Um, And while I do think uh, the league has kind of trended more towards that being a positive in some cases, uh, if that was his, his floor, I think, you know, that's well worth where, wherever he's going to end up going. Yeah, I, he would be one of my targets if we if we traded down. So I I I was excited about him. I I I gotta tell you, sometimes I fall. I look at all the mock drafts and I I, I get a little bit of groupthink going to me. And yeah. You know, you, know, you kind of it's funny when you do these things. You, you usually are like, well, I watch like half an hour of YouTube videos on each guys. I watch all of yours <laughs> and like some other ones. And uh, I'm like, well, these guys we watch all the time. They probably know more than me. So I only kind of go out on the ones. He was one I was thinking about. I had him uh, right around the group. Uh, for me, it was Aaron Neesmith, Tyrese Halliburton, mm-hmm. uh, Tyrese Maxey, Patrick Williams, Killian Hayes. Like all of those guys to me were sort of in the in Isaac Okoro. Those guys were sort of in my seven to twelve range, along with uh, Kara Lewis. So like I had all of them sort of grouped together, and I, I pushed them just out of my top ten in favor of those other guys, just due to kind of what other people are saying. Now I want to talk a little bit about Lamelo Ball. I think he's probably the most I think he's the most controversial player towards the top of this draft. I mean, like you got people who absolutely just hate this guy, you know, partly because of his shooting form, partly because of maybe his attitude, uh, partly just because of his dad. I mean, you know, there's there's like a lot of, there's like more drama with LaMelo Ball, I think, than anyone else, you know, kind of towards the top. So you still have LaMelo Ball at number three, uh, which is, I think it's kind of like the kissing your sister place of putting him of like, I'm not going to go too far against him, but I also don't have him as number one, so I'm not clearly in his corner either 
maybe discuss a little bit about what you think of LaMelo Ball, uh, where, uh, why you kind of have him in that, uh, that spot. Yeah. So LaMelo absolutely terrifies me. I think, you know, the reason I have him at three is because his potential is like seriously high, but his floor is seriously low. And I don't think there's really a middle ground between the two. You know, LaMelo is so boomer bust and, and, you know, I, I either use a um, kind of comparison to him being like a good freestyle rapper who can't uh, make like a hit song. He could only, you know, kind of freestyle off the top of his head. <laughs> but but I also think he's, you know, he reminds me of like those really fun girls that I dated like in my early 20s. But, you know, and when you think of the good times, it's like amazing. But then with LaMelo, he'll also, you know, outside of the beautiful passes, he'll shoot the ball from 35 feet four seconds into the shot clock for no reason at all and it kind of reminds you when like that same girl gets a little too drunk at the family party and starts arguing about politics and you're like oh man I now I remember <laughs> you know like <laughs> the greatest comparison ever <laughs> yeah so like he does all of these super amazing things and you see why some people kind of compare him to like a combination of Trey Young and Luka Doncic because he's got the height, he can rebound, he can make all of those passes, he reads the game so quickly, but he also could be a combination of white chocolate Jason Williams and Jamal Crawford. So where he, you know, he can make all those same beautiful plays and passes and he's got the handle, but he's also going to be really chucky and if that shot doesn't come around and there's literally, there's really no guarantee because it's not like it's a pretty shot. It's not like Anthony Edwards who the sh- where the shot looks functional and he's shooting shots that are too difficult. LaMelo's shooting shots that are too difficult and his shot doesn't look functional. And if he doesn't have that shot, then a lot of the things he does on offense, I think are going to be mitigated because, you know, teams are going to have, they're going to guard him completely differently than it's, you know, they were guarding him in the NBL. And then that's before you even get to the fact that his least favorite thing to do is defending. He just doesn't want to do it. You know, guys were literally blowing by him um, in the NBL. And, and not only does he not want to do it, one of the things I think doesn't get brought up enough, he's kind of got like bad footwork, you know, like I, I think that if you're a Bulls fan and you think Zach Levine is a, a poor defender, I got some news for you. Like, like LaMelo, like Zach Levine is going to look like Kawhi, I think, compared to LaMelo Ball on the defensive end, which is not necessarily a great thing uh, when there, I think there's a chance that the Bulls are going to be in position to, you know, make that decision on LaMelo. Like, I I don't know if it's a guarantee because there's a lot of misinformation and, you know, I I personally think he's going to go, I think four is his floor, but, you know, I don't know if teams are going to try to trade up to get him that are not in the top four. Like, I don't think he's going to slip too far. I don't necessarily believe, you know, some of the reports that, that he's slipping because he's a bad interview. Like if you watched any time he's ever been interviewed in like the last, I don't know, 10 years since he's been famous, he's just a weird kind of like awkward kid. So it doesn't shock me at all. And, and I don't buy that. That's why he's dropping. But uh, yeah, he terrifies me. He's got a ton of skills and he's just so volatile. And I, really would not want to be the one who has to decide whether or not we're going to take that, that chance on him. Cause he's going to sell tickets for sure. And he's, you know, you're going to be on house of highlights and, you know, sports center and everything, but I don't know if it's going to lead to winning. I, I, he just, he's the one guy I've done two pretty intense breakdowns on because the first one I came away so unimpressed with his overall game that 
you know, a lot of people I really respect, like, have this kid up so high. And I had to go back and watch the games again to see if I was just seeing it wrong. And uh, I came away even more unimpressed the second time. So, <laughs> that um, the story didn't end how I expected. No. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I have him top three because if if he tops out, he's probably, you know, got the highest or second highest upside in the draft. But, man, man, I wouldn't want to be the one trying to figure out if he's going to top out. <laughs> so the thing is, I, I kind of look at him and like he's not a superstar athlete. And so he definitely has this very special uh, court vision, and he's is a tremendous ball handler. And in some ways, those two things make it so you are a super athlete, even if you're not. You know, I look at someone like Steve Nash. Like, Steve Nash never had a problem getting where he wanted to be on the court. I don't think anyone thinks Steve Nash is going to blow you away with his athleticism. But athleticism is really a function of how well you can control the ball at a speed. You know, if we didn't have to dribble a basketball and someone was not allowed to physically touch me, (laughs) <laughs> I could run past a guy 20 times as athletic as I am because it's just he can't stay in front of me as I change directions. What makes that difficult is handling a basketball while doing it. And so these guys with these like super elite handles, they play much faster than their athleticism. And so LaMelo Ball kind of strikes me as one of those guys, I think at least offensively. Now, defensively, that doesn't do anything for you. Uh, the, the one thing I'll say with LaMelo, and you pointed out his defense, and it, it, you know certainly his, his mental side aspect of it I, I think is, is bad. I'm not so sure I'm concerned about that out the gates only because that's something that improves a lot through coaching, I feel. I think most guys are, are not so great younger. I feel like more confident that someone's going to have that click. Uh, the thing that really concerns me is the shooting. I start trying to go back in my head, and I'm like, who had a really broken shot whose form was just awful? Like they have terrible shooting form and then became not a great shooter but just a passable shooter. And, like, I really struggle to think of anyone who made that jump from like really broken to even just like say 35% a little bit off the dribble like you know like a good shooter like I think if you don't have the form at this age it's so hard to tear down that muscle memory and rebuild it into something else and it's also so hard to become consistent at something that is inherently inconsistent uh can you think of any counter examples i guess to like kind of maybe that statement no i can't <laughs> yeah so that you know like like the closest i got is like I don't know, Rondo has become a passable shooter much, much later in his career when he's, you know, very much a a role player. Uh, Jason Kidd much later in his career. But these are also guys who had these super high basketball IQs. And I think that's another misconception for me with LaMelo is I don't think he has a super high basketball IQ. I think he has a super high feel for the game. And, And I do think there's overlap in that a little bit. But he's not a guy who's going to, like, systematically break you down. And, you know, he's a guy who just – he sees something at the last second, and he has such quick reflex, uh, reflexes and ability to make these plays at the last minute that it almost, like, substitutes for basketball IQ. But there, he does so many other things, uh, both, op, you know, offensively and defensively, that makes me say, well, he, he's definitely not, like, a student of film, I don't think. <laughs> like, he, he doesn't understand – there's times where if he's off ball, he's just – kind of stationary watching and not like spread out in the corner, like in no man's land in the middle of the floor, just bringing an extra defender. You know, he's, he, like I said, he's launching shots early. So he terrifies me. He just absolutely terrifies me. Uh, He's terrified me since the first time I watched my high school basketball team that I coach launch half court shots before uh, warmups due to him making one in a game. Um, But I acknowledge that he is incredibly talented and, uh, I just wouldn't want to be the one having to call his name. On yeah, I, I got to say, 
Lamelo Ball kind of seems like the guy that you really don't want to put at three. You just don't want to go too far against the norm. Yeah, <laughs> the way you're talking about him, you don't you don't seem too too enthused about that upside. Um, it's it, the upside's so high, but like the likelihood of it, I think is so low. But it is there, so like I don't want to drop him too low. He's the only guy that I've kind of like really struggled with placing because you know, like I said, he tops out. He's probably the number one guy in the draft, but. You know, to me, like looking forward, I haven't done a ton of research into the next draft class yet because I've just been so focused on this one. But I, it almost feels like Cade Cunningham, who's going to probably be the consensus number one, is the guy that everybody wants Lamelo Ball to be. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm terrified of him. <laughs> so the thing, the thing is, to me, and I think about, I'm like, I don't know how he has the most upside in this draft either. A guy we just talked about who doesn't seem like he's going to be able to be a great shooter. Like, how does that ever get you the most upside? Just the way that the modern NBA is played, and a guy who probably will never be a tremendous defender. Like, I think he can get a lot better than he is now. Yeah. He'll probably yeah. be never. So I started thinking of guys, I'm like, who is just a guy who passes a lot, has great court vision, and is, we'll say, a so-so shooter, not an amazing, not a terrible shooter. So we'll assume he can get at least to okay, and who doesn't really defend a whole lot. And it's hard for me to, like, maybe I could argue Luka Doncic is that guy. Yeah, he's he's like 32% yeah. from three, but he's shooting like super hard shots in double coverage. So even though his percentage isn't that high, I think he's actually a pretty good shooter, and he's a great mid-range shooter. And I don't I don't know if I see that Lamelo, but maybe that's maybe that's the guy as, as much as I could name a guy. But man, I just I just really don't see that here. But I didn't see it with Luca either, to be honest with you. I was I was really down on Luca. I thought that he wasn't athletic enough, and I thought his shot wasn't good enough, and he you know, kind of proved. Proved me completely wrong. I mean, now he looks like a superstar. So <laughs> yeah. maybe that's my hesitation with Ball as well. Well, I, I I wish that I shared the same sentiment. So and maybe that would give me confidence that I was you know maybe wrong about Mello. But I was like convinced that Luca should be the number one pick from almost the moment I, I watched him play. And one of the things that I liked about it is he actually played a preseason game against uh, Oklahoma City, and he had a couple of possessions where he guarded Russell Westbrook in isolation. And, you know, I get it. It's it's a, you know, interleague game in the preseason. But, you know, I, I watched that with Luca, and I was like, you know, all the other stuff I think will translate. He's crafty. He's a great passer. He's tall. He's got a big body. But defensively, I was, like, kind of impressed. And I know he's not, like, grinding on the defensive end every possession as a pro because he carries such a big load. But I just don't see the same thing with Ball. Like, like you said, he's taking these tough shots, but his form looks great. Like, you could imagine if he was just a guy who was – you know, being left open like some of the other wings, he would shoot at 37%, probably 38%. Um, I don't see that with LaMelo. You know, he always shoots it differently. It's just even his makes are inconsistent. And, uh, you know, some of the footage that you see, I don't take a lot from workout videos, uh, but for certain things, like, is he working on altering the shot? Is his form going to be more consistent? And when I see some of the, you know, workout videos he had, I'm like, nope. It looks the same. I don't care to see him hitting shots in an open gym because it's not going to, you know, it didn't translate in a, a worse league than the NBA. Yeah. The the one thing I, I will give him a, a little bit of credit for is I don't think his shot is as broken as his brother's shot coming into the league. The irony to me there is that Lonzo actually had a, a good three point percentage from the in college. You know, I think yeah. it was like 41%. But I thought his shot just looked so incredibly broken. I thought there's no way this translates. And and Lamelo's shot is is not been I think is as successful, but it doesn't look as broken to me as as Lonzo's. So maybe that's enough on on Lamelo. That's a, that's actually great. Uh, so 
Sell me on uh, – you have James Wiseman. You're the only one I've seen with him at the top of the board. Now, I think he was – at the start of the season, he was kind of on a lot of people's top of the board and then just got moved because he didn't get to put in the work. And the thing I kind of think is, like, I'm like, but who else put in the work to move ahead of him that, that like, was so <laughs> spectacular? And I think the answer is kind of no one. I've had him and Anthony Edwards are my number one and two. I think they're the same tier. I, I have Edwards a little bit higher, and the reason I have him higher is just because I think the guard position is more valuable. Mm-hmm. But I I, lo- I like both these guys. I was really concerned about Edwards when I just looked at his numbers. When I started watching the videos and I saw like his numbers were bad because he shoots like eight threes a game from like five feet behind the line and double coverage <laughs> off step backs with like eight you know twenty seconds left on the clock. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, someone's going to coach that out of him really fast, almost for sure. Uh, I wasn't I was nowhere near as worried about the numbers. Like I think you mentioned very briefly earlier, his form looks good. His athleticism looks good. I actually am a big believer that he's going to be a, a, a good shooter over time in the league. So I'm, I'm high on him and I'm high on, on, on Wiseman. But tell me, what makes you put Wiseman ahead of Edwards at the top of this draft? Yeah, well, I, I had Edwards ahead of Wiseman for a while and almost, you know, the same kind of reasoning that I was like, you know, guards are kind of more valuable than, than bigs in the modern NBA. And then I, I went back and I'm, I'm watching more and I'm going, you know what? I, I just have the instinct that James Wiseman is going to be awesome. And I don't care that everyone thinks Anyeka Kungwu is, is better than him because Bam Adebayo took such a big leap this year and they think that he's going to be the next Bam. Um, I just look at Wiseman and I go, his measurables are off the freaking charts. He's 7'1", 7'6", wingspan, strong as all hell. And to me, you know, the question when you look at Biggs is can he – like does he have the mobility to, say, guard out on switches in the perimeter – and I personally think that he does. I've seen him guard literally the left uh, wing off a screen. The ball swings to the right wing. He gets out, gets to the screen on the right wing. And then when the ball sp- uh, swings again, you know, he's out on the perimeter and one of his teammates misses a coverage and he goes and gets a, a shot block attempt at the rim. He doesn't block the shot, but he gets there quick enough. So he almost covers the whole court in this one possession. And I was like, wow, like he is mobile. And I think people are just scared because he played three games. And I, I almost look at it similarly to how the 2004 draft with Emeka Okafor and Dwight Howard played out, where if you were watching from afar as, as a fan, you did not see Dwight Howard. Maybe in like the McDonald's game got aired on ESPN. It's not like there was YouTube or whatever. And Omeka Okafor is coming off a national championship. He averages five blocks a game. He looks like the most sure thing to be like an all-NBA center for years to come. And it's not that Okafor had a bad career. You know, he got hurt. If he didn't get hurt, he would have been a a very good pro. But Dwight Howard is a Hall of Famer. And I, I think that at the NBA level, sometimes, like, there are just things you cannot teach. And, you know, with with Wiseman... I think he kind of has like this ceiling of on offense. He can kind of be Chris Bosh esque. Uh, he's got great touch. He could face up. He's, he finishes everything around the hoop. He's going to get to the free throw line a ton. Cause it's hard to keep him off the glass. He runs the court like a gazelle and not that the league is trending back towards big men, but I think that there are a lot of big men in the league who are going to, you know, you look at our top 10 players now. You, know, you look at Jokic and Anthony Davis and Embiid, and, and I think that his potential is up in that tier. Um, 
you know, I think there are other people who think that his offense is much more raw than I personally think it is. They don't like that he can't shoot threes. And, and personally, I don't really want him shooting a ton of threes. Every time Embiid shoots a three, I'm just like, why? Like, I get it's nice that he could shoot it every now and then, but it doesn't do anything for me. Um, so I don't need him to shoot a ton of threes. For me, if he could hit like a 15-foot jumper every now and then and then use that ability that you have to guard him so he can get to the rim facing up, you know, kind of like in the mid post like Bosch did, that's kind of where his sweet spot is to me. And I look at him and I go, I, I just don't see how, one, that Golden State will pass on him. I just – I think that they're exactly the kind of team that should take – a big center like him because at least he can give some minutes against some of those big Western bigs and he, he could start out in a simplified role. I mean, I don't know how you would guard Steph Curry and James Wiseman in a pick and roll with clay in the corner. I, it, it seems impossible to me. <laughs> like I don't, you, you blitz Steph and he's throwing it over the top to Wiseman for a dunk. You kind of play off Steph. It's a three, you know, you, you help too much and you're kicking it to shooters that seems like a match made in heaven, but you know, I, I think that him and Edwards are close are, are very close. And I, I can't like say that if, you know, like you have Edwards ahead of him, I, I think that Edwards is a phenomenal talent as well. You know, he has definitely not been coached um, the same way that some of these other draft picks have, you know, he has a lot of room to grow on that end. And when he gets to the NBA, I think, you know, he won't, like you said, I think coaches are going to make it so that he's not going to be shooting a ton of those, off balance, off the step back, sidestep three is that he's kind of forcing in, in this, you know, kind of crummy college team that he played on that's not having a ton of space, especially in Minnesota. I mean, you put him with like Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, like the amount of space it'll have to, to get to the hoop. Uh, so I can't blame anybody that has Edwards over Wiseman because I do think they're close. They're both physical freaks. But to me, I just, I look at Wiseman and I go, I just, I don't know. I, the way he moves on a court at his size, I think it's special. Um, and if anybody is going to have a chance to be an all NBA player, I think, I think it is Wiseman and Edwards in, in the most realistic sense. And, and I think that Wiseman's ability to potentially be a kind of a, a game changing defensive player, along with his ability uh, to make a difference on offense. I, I think, uh, I think it's worth taking in a, in a draft like this. Yeah. The, the one thing, and this is the reason I, I even got kind of blasted for having Wiseman at number two. Like when chatting with people, like people thought yeah. that was way too high. Yeah. And the thing is to me, I said, James Wiseman has everything you need to be right out of the box to be a franchise center. He doesn't need to add anything to his game at all. Like yeah. I'm not saying he's going to step on the NBA court and be a franchise player right away, but he's got the, the athleticism, he's got the size, and he has the skills he needs to play the center position. He's going to yeah. be able to defend. He's going to be able to take up space. You can cover the whole court because he only has to take one step in any direction and put his hand in the air to, like, block a three-point shot. I mean, it's like he has everything you need to be center. He doesn't need to shoot a three. He doesn't even need to nope. shoot a mid-range shot. I mean, like, he's a center. And when I think of, like, Anyeka Kunmu, I'm like, well, if he can play center, maybe he has everything <laughs> he needs to be center. But he kind of got pushed around a little bit in college at times by bigger guys. That's going to be worse in the NBA. He's going to be at a height disadvantage and a size disadvantage uh, compared to like the elite centers and a lot of the big centers in the league. So he's he doesn't necessarily have everything he needs to be a great center in the league. And if he has to play power forward, now his perimeter game needs to be considerably better. You can't be a power forward with no perimeter game unless your center has a tremendous perimeter game, which there's like like three guys in the league that are like that, maybe, if that. I mean, Towns and Jokic might be the end of that conversation, you know, I mean, like of centers who have good perimeter games. 
I mean, maybe Luke Cornette is like the third best perimeter game as a center. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just like, you, you know, there's not like a lot of guys that are going to, going to do that. And so when I look at Okumu, I, I think like his, his work ethic seems great. His touch seems great. His athleticism seems great. There's like a lot I really like about him. And I wouldn't be shocked if he becomes like a BAM guy who, who can be an undersized center, but there's some risk there because he doesn't have all the things he needs to be a center, like obviously. And, uh, he's missing huge parts to be a power forward, which now makes me think like if things don't kind of fall right, he becomes sort of a niche player. And that still might be fine and, and work out great for him just due to total talent. But there's, there's like something that's missing that needs to be figured out. And with Wiseman, there's like nothing missing. Like it's like, like, okay, you're a center that can't shoot from 20 feet out. Like who cares? I mean, who cares? Like, like you said, like I don't want Embiid shooting from 20 feet out. Put him in a pick and roll, and who's going to guard a guy? I don't know what his standing reach is, but it's got to be like nine three, nine four, nine five. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's got to be insane. I mean, it's like, and he's he's athletic enough. I mean, who? It's like you just throw lobs to him. It's going to be so hard. Like the worst case scenario is you're getting something like Andre Drummond or or uh, DeAndre Jordan or something. Like that's the worst case scenario. And those guys, like in their prime, are like legit starting above average caliber centers. Like your worst case is this guy's going to be like a top 10 center in the league, I think. I just don't see how he's not going to do that. And so when I look at all these other guys in the draft, I'm like, well, if he improves his shooting, if he improves his defense, if he improves this, then he could be great. And if, and I'm like, there's just no ifs with him. It's like the worst case is like, am I getting like a top 10 center? Or am I getting a top three center? Like that's what I'm debating about. Like the floor just seems so high. So am I nuts? I mean, I, I don't think so since you got him number one. I assume. No, you're, you're not, and and I think with the Kungu, I look at it and I go, if Wendell Carter Jr. was coming out in this draft, who would you rather have, Wendell or a Kungu? And I would rather have Wendell Carter. I think that he'd go higher in this draft than a Kungu. I you know I look at a Kungu as almost like they're similar kind of players to not you know I, I there are, there are similarities to Bam, but like I think a Kungu and Wendell are much closer and. I think that Wendell is more skilled. Like Wendell is a much cleaner shot, much cleaner. I think he's a much more natural playmaker. And you look at how, granted, Jim Boylan, so grain of salt, but you look at how that hasn't translated right away. But the thing is, there's no guarantee that you come to the NBA and you're in a situation that's going to develop the game, the parts of your game that look like they're going to be easy to develop. So if a Kungu finds himself in a tough spot, you know, the one, his shot is going to be, is far down the road if it ever comes because he didn't shoot it this year and his release is super slow. His passing, yeah, he should, he passed out of the short roll a few times, whatever, but way down the line, and it all depends on your player development staff, your coaching, the team fit, this and that. Like you said, Wiseman, day one, worst case, he's going to be you know uh, a top center um, as his as his floor. And you know, look, I look at like a guy like Mitchell Robinson. And I go, he's going to be better than Mitchell Robinson. And Mitchell Robinson just broke Wilt Chamberlain's free, field goal percentage record. So, like, you know, I think that he'll have more freedom offensively, Wiseman, than a guy like Mitchell Robinson will. But he's just basically, like, a bigger, stronger, more fluid version of Mitchell Robinson. And if you knew what you knew now about Mitchell Robinson and put him in this draft, Mitchell Robinson is going very, very high. So, to me, I like, I agree with you. I think Wiseman is, like, a no-brainer, you know, best big in the class. And, and like you said, when you put a – a guy like a Kungwu on the floor with other NBA players with NBA size and strength. And, you know, I think that there's going to be much more of a transition period. With that said, I think a Kungwu is a very safe player to be a good player, especially in this draft. But I just think Wiseman has that special, special potential that is getting overlooked because he didn't play 
a full college season. If he played a full college season, I don't really think this would be a, uh, a contest because I think his numbers would his his advanced numbers, his raw numbers, whatever way you look at it, they would have been like absolutely outrageous. Yeah, I think for sure. The the one thing I'll say about Okunwu compared to Carter, I mean, I maybe maybe you disagree, but I I thought Okunwu definitely displayed more athleticism than Carter. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, more sure. more more aggressiveness um, overall in terms of getting his shot. Maybe that was just situation, even though I think Carter definitely had a higher skill level. I, I completely agree with you there. I think that maybe a little different in those situations. Like to me, a is kind of like Clint Capella, uh, you know, something like that. People throw out Bam because he's better, but like Clint Capella seems to me, yeah, uh, maybe a little bit closer to where he is right now, uh, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see. I mean, I like a too. I think I agree with you. He's very safe. I just, I struggle to see where the tremendous upside is. Uh, unless he gets a lot stronger, develops a, an offensive game that's extremely far away. Yeah, agreed. And, and, so, and so there's two more guys I really want to go over. One, because I didn't have this guy high at all, and so I just want want you to sell me on him, which maybe you'll do. And then okay. the second is uh, Denny Avija, because you got him where the Bulls are picking. So obviously, yeah. <laughs> this being a Bulls podcast, we probably <laughs> should talk about Avija. Uh, so so sell me on, on Denny Avija. The, the thing I struggle with, I watch him and I'm like, when I watch him shooting, I'm like, his shot looks pretty good, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I'm like, and I feel like I kind of believe that that'll translate and he'll get good at it. He shoots off the dribble, does like some of these crossovers and then pop shots. And I'm like, I, I kind of believe that that can kind of go. And then, you know, his ball handling to me looks really good for a guy his size and everything kind of looks good, but nothing looks great. And I, I'm not entirely sure how athletic he is. And then I, I think like, who's his NBA comparison and I can't think of a better player than Danilo Gallinari to say yeah. his comparison. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how good is Danilo Gallinari really? Like, I, I mean, obviously he's also had health concerns. So if he had stayed healthier, maybe better. But I'm like, he's not like a star player. And so I, I look at Denny and I'm like, does he have a path to be a star? And at number four, do you draft a guy who doesn't have a path to be a star? And are there guys below him that really have a legitimate path to be a star? Because I'm not sure that that's true either. Like, it's like all these guys, is it just like, Maybe I'll start with a couple questions because I just threw a lot at you. One, uh, do you think he has star potential? Uh, so that would be the first thing. Okay. And if so, like, what does he have to do to get there? So we'll start with that. Uh, so Denny's a guy that all about expectation. I don't expect him to be a star. Um, I like you said. I think Danilo is is a good comp for like effectiveness. You know, I think in the right situation, the right year, like. Gallinari could make an all-star team, you know, Lowell Dang made an all-star team, right? Sure. Um, so I, I do think Gallo is a guy who right, right spot, right time could have been an all-star. And I think Denny is the same way, but I, I also don't expect him to be a consistent guy in the all-star conversation, but I do think that he's a guy that has a very high floor and is going to help teams win basketball games. He's, incredibly fiery. You know, I, I think, you know, you mentioned Gallo as a comp, but I kind of think he plays a little bit like a slightly taller, better playmaking version of like Andres Nocioni. Um, and, you know, considering this is a Bulls podcast, I think that's a name that Bulls fans uh, could appreciate. We loved him for three years. We loved him <laughs> for three years. <laughs> but you know what? Once he started chucking all those threes, he was just ahead of his time. <laughs> he was just, no, just ahead of his time. He knew the way, the direction of the league. Uh, but Denny is significantly better ball handler, which is actually the only, but with that said, 
the only ball handling, the only like major weakness I'm worried about with Denny is his ball handling, because as strong as he is with his right hand, his left hand is not nearly as strong. He, uh, you know, a lot of times if you play him to go left off like a screen or an ISO, he'll pass up driving lanes with his left. He's, he's just not comfortable in that spot yet. So if he, if he did fix that, I do think he has a little bit of star potential, but he's a guy that's won at every level. He's super competitive. He, you know, he has the ability to either be in a lead role. We've seen him, you know, leading the Israeli national team as a lead player, but he also, you know, at playing um, with Maccabi Tel Aviv, he's also proven that he could be like a guy that is playing off your stars. And in that sense, it, especially for the Bulls, it, it almost fits so well. And I'm not a big draft for fit guy, but I, I also think with his potential and his size and his fluidity, you know, it, it kind of works for the Bulls. He's, he's kind of the guy I want the, the Bulls to draft, given how I think the board will play out. But he's a guy that, like, I, I believe that his shot is functional and he's going to hit a good enough percentage um, that you'll have to guard him. So if you guard him and you have to close out on him hard, he's going to be able to beat you off the dribble and then make plays that way. He finishes at the rim and he can run, pick and roll. You don't necessarily want him to be your point guard like Luca, but as a secondary tertiary playmaker, and you look at a team like the Bulls right now that has Kobe White and Zach Levine, who are not necessarily great playmakers to begin with, and you start seeing this this path for Denny to really be able to thrive. You know, he'll he can play and run pick and roll with big men. And he, so he can run pick and roll and throw lobs to the hoop with Wendell. He can play pick and pop with Laurie. You know, he can do all of these things that fit so many of the Bulls needs. But just his, his package in general, I think he's super smart. Like on the defensive end, I don't think he's going to be a liability. I think he's going to be a plus, you know, maybe not right away. But as if you were betting on guys who would be a plus right away, he actually has, you know, professional skill playing in one of the best leagues in the world. So he's probably a bet, the best bet for that. Um, but he's just always in the right spot and help. He he does protect the rim a little bit, even if he's not going to be a major shot blocker. I, there are rumors, you know, and there always are rumors about height and everything, that he's grown a little bit, that he's almost 6'10 now. Um, but he does have still have the fluidity to, of, like, a guard a little bit. So, I don't know. I, I love Denny. I just love – I always – I thought that he plays the game the right way. He He's going to be a positive player on a bunch of good teams. I just also knew – all right, well, he's not going to be a superstar. He doesn't have that, you know, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards talent that pops off the screen that you go, if this clicks, he's going to be, you know, these two guys could be first team, second team, all NBA players. I don't think that with Denny. I think there's a drop off, but I do think that in that kind of next tier, I think that's where Denny fits. And I think he has one of the highest potentials in that next tier of players. That's great. And so when you were talking then the, you know what popped in my head was Tony Kukoc. Yeah. As, as yeah, a comparison. <laughs> big, that's pretty big, good. Big playmaker. You know, and, and people overrate Tony in the NBA because of the era he played in, like in the Bulls yeah. dynasty, like they're talking. Yeah. But, like, Tony wasn't also an all-star player. Like, if we start really look back at Tony, he was like a, a guy, maybe if he didn't have these superstars on his team and was kind of the head of a team during his prime, he would have been kind of like you said, a guy in the conversation, but probably not not make it, maybe make it yeah. one year. You know, he's a, an effective scorer, an effective playmaker, kind of effective at a lot of things, but not amazing at any of them. So that's that's maybe now, you know, hearing you talk, that just that, that kind of struck into my head uh, as, as who he might be. And you know, he's a guy who fits into any team, right? The guy can help you yeah. no matter what yeah. the composition of your team is and, and can do good things for you and has a high floor. So I, I like that. So uh, now 
the next question I kind of want to ask you is how big of a gap, you know, do you see between, or maybe even just let's split the draft into tiers. Are you, are you like me where you've got Wiseman and Edwards in a tier? Uh, you throw LaMelo in that same tier. Is LaMelo in his own tier or is he kind of like Denny? I think, I think LaMelo's in his own tier. <laughs> in his own tier. Okay. So we, so I, maybe just from our conversation and to simplify, we, we probably both have Edwards and Wiseman in the top tier. You agree with that? Yeah. yeah. We got, you got LaMelo. I actually have LaMelo at like number six on my board, but you got LaMelo kind of like in this very high upside, but also very low floor tier. And we'll, we'll kind of maybe pick, pick that little separate because I think that's, it's so, sort of unique. So now Denny's the next guy on the board. How many players down after this do you go where you still keep them kind of in the same tier? Kyra Lewis Jr., same tier as Denny or? or yeah, so, yeah. So I would have probably four to, say, eight in that next tier. So it'd be like Denny, Kyra Lewis, Devin Vassell, Killian Hayes, and Obi Toppin. Um, I think those are kind of my next tier of guys. And there's a lot of different play style in there, um, yeah. but I think they're all kind of lumped, and, and you know, Akungwu kind of in that tier too, but also unique in his own tier because he's also incredibly safe, but, you know, not sexy in any way, and for the Bulls especially, he doesn't really fit uh, a need in, in any way, so especially for the Bulls, he's kind of off to the side in, in his own tier for me as well. Yeah, I got like Isaac Akuro as another, Akuro as another guy like that, like, alright, this guy is Ronnie Brewer, the sec- second he steps on the court. <laughs> But yeah. like, well, what does that do for me? Like if I'm drafting 10th, maybe a lot, you know, like right. if I'm drafting Ronnie Brewer at the 10th pick in a draft that's not super strong. And I like this guy's going to be a tremendous uh, defender right away. And maybe he'll improve his shot. Maybe he won't. And, and you know, history would say with most guys, the answer to that is they won't. But if he did improve his shot and he did improve his ball handling, also a thing that I think you usually see that at the college level, these guys who are elite ball handlers, I don't think you see guys make massive, massive strides in that. I think there's like, got to be something with the small twitch muscles that have just developed by that point, or they're not going mm-hmm. to. But, uh, you know, if he developed those things, like he could be a superstar with his athleticism, but probably not going to happen, you know. So, um, yeah, I kind of got those two guys off sort of also in their own, own separate bucket. So yeah, you fair. mentioned one guy, Devin Vassell. So yep. this is a guy, I actually don't have detailed notes on him because I didn't have him in my top ten. And I, if I remember correctly, you had him at number six yeah. uh, overall. And so... I went and like while we're talking, I, I went to try. I can't actually watch a video because it would pop up and be all kind of bad. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> off the top of my head, I remember I'm like, all right, he had a good three point percentage. But I remember watching him. I'm thinking like either had like a really slow release, or he's one of these guys with like wonky form that was like effective, but it was like his shot was like way out in front of him or like low or something weird. Am I crazy in remembering this? Because no, otherwise you're... I'm struggling to think like why I would have not had him high. And I remember in my head thinking like. I just don't think his shot's going to translate. Or he's, he's going to translate as a, a catch-and-shoot player, but not as an off-the-dribble player. Like, he's only going to be a catch-and-shoot three guy. You absolutely nailed it. He has a wonky shot. He, he, he has, like, a catapult shot. Okay, yeah, the Michael like Red. A, yeah, it's, like, a little bit over his head. And then a few weeks back, um, the Internet exploded because there was a video of him shooting in a gym, and he had two shots where it was, like, a little bit further back than usual than it was in the season. Um, because everybody penciled him in as this brilliant shooter because he shot 40% for two seasons. But it was also on like three and a half attempts a game. It wasn't on high volume. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna bang on him for a second before I flip it and tell you why I have him high. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Okay. Yeah, so, so I knew watching him right away that 
his shot was not going to translate nearly as seamlessly as the internet seemed to agree that it would. I And I think this is where there's a disconnect between like the stats community and the eye test community. Because the stats community looks at him and says, three and D guy right away, you know, mark it down. I looked at him and said, well, he's not shooting 40% from the NBA with that form right away. There's just no way. If, if he was shooting five, six attempts a game in college, he's probably a 36, 36 and a half percent three point shooter. Um, and he's shooting 40% on low volume, only taking the easiest three point shots available. You know, a lot of catch and shoot, open shots off penetration, stuff like that. With that said, his shot also isn't nearly as broke as, you know, some of these other guys who, who were shooting. And that's why he was able to shoot it at 47% because, um, on his makes, that catapult shot is usually a little bit less. It's uh, his misses is where you see the inconsistencies. And I didn't know why the internet was freaking out about it because I pointed it out in one of my videos. Um, I went on this Knicks show. They asked me what's the first thing he needs to improve, probably thinking I was going to say ball handling. And I said, he's got to get rid of the catapult shot because I think when you move that back, it's going to be hard to be consistent, you know, chucking the ball over your head. So I was not concerned about this one bit. I looked at the video. I said, okay, that's exactly what we all knew. Did anybody watch this? Like, why, yeah. why are we why are we talking about prospects that nobody watched if this is the thing we're concerned about? Um, but he's also the only prospect that I started my video off with defense because I think he is unbelievable on defense. Like, I think he's the best defender in the draft, at least from the perimeter. He, I think, is the best perimeter uh, kind of wing player defender that I think I've ever scouted. Maybe Mikael Bridges, I think, could you could have that conversation, but Mikael Bridges was a little bit older. Um, but as a help defender, he is unbelievable. And, you know, he's a guy that plays it safe enough that, you know, he's not going to be uh, caught in the wrong spots. And But he also gets in the passing lanes and, and gets steals and uses his length. He protects the rim. He averages over a block a game. He's everywhere on the court on defense. He'll check you one-on-one. He uses the length. He is like, to me, the prototype defender that you would, you know, build in a lab to be able to check almost every position because he played on with his team that he played on at Florida state, they switched every position. So he was checking point guards full court. He would switch off, protect the rim, switch on to fives that were bigger than him. I thought he was, I literally like, I couldn't believe how much fun I was having watching one person play defense. That's how much I love him as a defender. Um, the offense, it's very basic, you know, and, and I think that he's going to have such a, a big impact on defense that even if he tops out at like 36%, 37% from three by reworking his shot a little bit, um, I think that he's going to be so valuable as a defender and you'll have to guard him enough. And, and that's the difference between a Coro. Like, I don't think you have to guard him at all. I think with the cell, you, you'll have to contest his shots. Otherwise he'll hit them uh, at a decent clip. You know, he's not going to break you down off the dribble. He's not going to uh, go ISO a ton. He has one kind of go-to move where he kind of takes a dribble or two, spins over his right shoulder, gets into a step back that was kind of effective in the mid-range. Um, but he's a guy that gets out in transition, does all the efficient things that you want. I, and I kind of liken him to, like, the modern version of Luol Dang. You know, he's very simple stuff. Maybe he advances his game throughout the year a little bit. 
And instead of, you know, having that really consistent mid-range shot, you think you'd expect him to have that kind of from the three-point line eventually. But but defensively, you know, I, I just love him so much, and that's why I have him so high. But, yeah, uh, he has a, a very wonky sh- shot, and there are question marks about it. And I think people are starting to question it more because of that 20-second video that his team deleted immediately once the internet freaked out about it. <laughs> but uh, I, I just love him, and I think that, you know, he is another guy that fits our team really well. Um, I think he's, he's a guy that you, you put anywhere in any situation and he's going to find a way to be a positive contributor. And, uh, that's why I have him so high. I just, I was so impressed with him defensively, the things that he was doing as a team defender, which I think is really, you know, the bread and butter of NBA defense is, is being able to, you know, cover for your teammates and, and do all the, the little things and always be in the right spots. And to me, I, he's going to be one of the tops in the league on, on that end. Yeah, and so I'm going to pick on one thing you said in there. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned Luol Deng as a comp, and I, I think like <laughs> Luol Deng was a like he was a volume scorer, and like he wasn't a great yeah. off the dribble guy, but I mean like Deng was like a volume scorer, and I don't I don't think the cell could do that. The kind of like upside comp I had for him now that you refreshed my memory a little bit was uh, Tayshawn Prince. Uh, okay. And, yeah. and you know, kind of like yeah, like I I I didn't watch like thousands of Pistons games or anything, but like Prince, you know, defensively. Seemed very similar to me, like very lanky, you know, kind of would get everywhere, could kind of swap between all these kinds of different positions, you know, but not an elite athlete, you know, like not someone who is blowing you away with his athleticism, but just his, his talent and his length and his, his ability to just kind of be everywhere and do a lot of things. I kind of, kind of got me there. And then Prince was also not really much of a volume scorer uh, either, but, you know, kind of could chip in a lot in a lot of different ways offensively. I'm not sure Vassell is quite there yet. But that that was sort of I think that was my upside comp for him and you know maybe yeah, obviously no two guys are the same it's like I throw out names not because I think oh he can't be better than this or he's going to be exactly yeah. this but just to say like stylistically it kind of seemed a little bit more like that to me uh, I think defensively his defensive comparison to me seemed a lot like Prince offensively I think you know probably uh, your description was a little bit more accurate than what Prince actually was uh, offensively but that was that was kind of who he reminded me defensively watching him out there. I think that that's fair, um, and I think offensively he probably has a little bit more potential than Tayshon showed. But like you said, like he he didn't really have like the full kind of game that Luol had. Like Luol definitely could carry an offense a little bit more, but ideally, you know, you would have pref- you probably prefer him to be a third option. You yeah. Know, if if you were really competing, which he was at times with the Bulls, um, but yeah, I, I think Vassell is kind of in between those two guys. But both of those guys like are their prospects that any coach, any organization, any team would love to have on their, their team. Yeah, right. And you'd be and excited you at, about him. And, and you look at Tayshawn and he was a guy that was able to step in super early in his career and help a team win a championship. And it was really because he was such a smart player. And, and to me, like Devin Vassell is the same kind of guy. So I think he'll, his three point shot, even if he didn't alter anything will be enough that you have to guard him. But if he ends up fixing it, you're looking at like a really, really valuable player on, on a starting team. Like, so uh, that's why I have him so high. And, and again, it's all relative to this draft class, yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, if this was a, a normal year, I might have him outside of my top 10 easily. Um, but this draft class, it flattens so much. So like the difference between six and I don't know, like 15 is really not all that much. And that's why I wasn't really concerned if the Bulls got the seventh pick again this year, because I was like, great. Like, I don't, it doesn't, it, this, is a, this is the perfect draft for that to happen. Luckily, you know, we moved up a little bit and we can kind of get into that 
slight tier tier ahead but um yeah I, that that's that's my thing with the cell i i kind of i just love watching him defensively and i think that he's he's safe enough offensively that even he's not gonna be a 20 point scorer but he'll contribute to winning basketball and i just for the bulls especially i just wanted somebody who's going to contribute to winning basketball if, if that was a direction they were going yeah and i'll, I'll throw out one more name and it maybe as a floor comparison is and i don't know if it's exactly the same but if he doesn't improve his shot he, he sticks with the catapult and I think if he does, he'll be effective from the corners, but I think mm-hmm. he'll start to struggle, you know, like, like you noted. That shot, it's a lot harder to shoot from the wing and, you know, from as the, the range gets further out. So I think you can yes. be pretty consistent with that from, like, the, I don't know if it's, like, 21 feet in the corner and 23 in the wing. You know, the 21 is probably, you know, pretty pretty capable still, but you get to 23 and you start dropping a bit. So if he doesn't change the shot, and I, I kind of don't think he will, I think he'll probably stick with it. Then Bruce Bowen is a guy that – that rings a bell to me too. Like Bowen was a guy, was he like nearly a 50% three point shooter from the corner and, you know, but couldn't hit free throws consistently and didn't really yeah. add a lot in offense. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I think he's got more upside than Bowen potentially, but Bowen also an extremely smart player, a very good versatile defender could do a lot out there and could just, you know, kill you with that corner three where he was extremely successful. Uh, but, you know, maybe he didn't have enough uh, in his offensive game to add a lot outside of that. So to me, I think something like that is maybe Vassell's floor. And, and Bowen was still like not a sexy player, but I mean, he was a very good contributor to a, a team that won championships and a guy, you know, that you could easily find a, a role for on your team due to his strengths and, you know, his weaknesses are pretty easy to work around historically. Yeah, I think that's a good call as well. Um, and if, right, like you said, if that's your floor, that's, you know, not the worst thing in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so... We've kind of said now there's not a big gap between four. We kind of see a drop-off, actually, like right around four, this next tier of players. So I'm going to assume, and I don't know that we need to discuss it a whole lot, you'd be fine trading down like three spots, four spots, if you got something, you know, kind of decent because you feel the talent level is is probably fairly similar at four as it is at, say, seven or eight. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. You know, obviously there are guys that I have in certain orders. So if the draft shook out in like a really weird way and, you know, some of those guys in that tier, uh, like if the Bulls drafted Obi Toppin, I'd be less thrilled because it's, you know, it's a weird fit with the roster. But who knows? You know, we have new management. Who knows what direction they want to take the team, who they want to stay, who they want to go. So I like if we traded down a few few spots, I'd be perfectly fine with it, uh, depending on what we got in return. But um yeah, it's it's just uh it's very cluttered in that area. So it, it's if we did trade down, Bulls fans, don't don't panic. And if we trade up, would you first? I guess I'm gonna assume since you have Wiseman and, and Edwards, we both talked about them in this kind of top tier. We'd only trade up for one of those guys. We're not trading up for Lamelo Ball. No one thinks we're gonna do that. So nope. <laughs> assuming we're trading up for one of those two guys, like number four and Wendell Carter Jr. for James Wiseman, yes or no? No. No. Uh, Zach Levine straight up for one of those two guys. Hmm. Man, I, I'm going to go no on contingent on, I still don't love the fit between Kobe White and Anthony Edwards. But do you love the fit between Kobe White and Zach Levine? No. So I almost, <laughs> I almost feel like it's, it's, it's like a lateral move. <laughs> I don't know. I would, I would, I, I would really want to rework and find, somebody who fit better after that. I would need follow-up moves. I would need okay. a follow-up move. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we assume there'll be follow-up moves because, you know, one of the things I preached on the podcast recently is, 
you know, you're you're looking at Zach Levine. He's got two cheap years left. You kind of got to figure out what you're going to do with him long long term because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent next time. Uh, scores tend to get paid a lot of money, even if they have other flaws. Uh, there's some chance Zach Levine's going to get like a monster deal. I mean, yeah. who knows what the CBA and what's going to happen over the next two years, though. <laughs> like that's that's this whole other big thing that makes makes it difficult to predict in this time. Uh, Lowry market and free agent next year now restricted, so the Bulls can keep him, but they'll have to, to have to pay him a market value contract. So, you know, I think we expect him to get a big raise, and impending what he does this year will determine whether that's a, a massive raise or just, you know, kind of a big raise. And we, we don't really know how that's going to look till the season's over. Um, I'm going to throw out one more. Uh, Lowry Markkinen, uh, plus number four for, uh, number one or two. Ooh. You know, I'd be more inclined for the Wendell and four. I'd be more inclined for that because I think at least if you can get Wiseman in that situation, he and Laurie fit a little bit cleaner. Um, but again, you know, depending on what you can get for Wendell and a follow up, uh, yeah, it's, it's not like a hard no on, I think any of these necessarily, but I'd have to see what's available to follow up to clean up the the roster. Yeah. I I think the interesting thing to me is with any of these trades, you're trying to project what do you think the Bulls actually feel about these players and their long-term fit. So if you look at it and you find out the Bulls really aren't high on Lowry long-term and they're not really going to want to keep him long-term, then I think this trade-up makes a lot of sense to me because I actually think a lot more strongly about the one and two picks in this draft than I do about everyone after. So I'd be like, if I don't believe in Lowry long-term, I'm okay sacrificing him to move up. And the same is true as Wendell, and the same is true. I actually like Zach Levine a lot, but if I'm management and I'm thinking like, well, I like Zach Levine, but I don't want to pay him $30 million a year, and I think that's what the market will be in two years, uh, then I'm okay trading him out early now too. So yeah. I, I think kind of exactly like you said, a lot of this, is, it depends on things we don't know, which is how do the Bulls feel about putting this whole thing together in the long run, are there guys that they feel are definitely pieces that are permanent and are the guys that they feel like, nah, this isn't the guy. We're going to play him out this year, see what happens, but we're we're kind of skeptical. And, and we don't really know what they think about those guys. And I, I think it's hard to say, you know, we're going to move away from the draft. I hope you don't mind. Uh, just for a second, though, like one thing I talk about a lot and on some of the podcasts I do is how big a factor do you think coaching was with these guys last year? Now, everyone hates Jim Boylan. And I see the sort of momentum of like thought, and I I push back against this a little bit, not to bias you. I push back this against, against this a little bit, where I feel like people have kind of thrown out this like, well, all these guys would be so much better if it wasn't Jim Boylan coaching them. And I'm not really sure I buy into that. I think like 95% of what the player development is is on the player and on the assistants. Like I'm not sure. Like Larry Markkinen had like almost all wide open threes and didn't hit him at a good rate. Like I don't know that that's on Jim Boylan. And maybe it was on injuries, maybe it was on whatever. But, like, so do you think that there's actually a lot of upside in this roster due to the coaching change and that these guys are really better than what we think they are? Or do you think that, like, they kind of are who they are and coaching didn't have an impact or maybe somewhere in between? Maybe let me know your thoughts on that. I think it's in between. I think it's in between. You know, with with Laurie, like you said, he got a lot of open looks that he he didn't hit on necessarily. Um but with that said, he was also doing a lot of catch and shoot, a lot of pick and pop. He wasn't necessarily doing, you know, a lot of like I, I still I'm a I'm a mid post guy, especially for a guy like Laurie who can just kind of rise up over smaller players and then use that to take one or two dribbles. Where I think he's much more fluid than having to create from the three point line. So I do think there's some opportunity and a different offense for Laurie to kind of get back to what we thought he was. I mean, obviously. Uh, 
he looked much better, you know, his first and second year than he did last year. With Wendell, I think there's a lot more that Wendell can show. Um, you know, I again, we had a weird defensive scheme that was good to for the long term, I think, to see that Wendell can kind of cover the perimeter uh, pretty effectively. But also, like, the consistent blitzing, obviously – was not great taking our rim protectors away from the rim a lot. You know, it, he kind of nixed the fact of Wendell spacing the floor or shooting. Wendell looks very hesitant to shoot any time that he was open. So I do think they're like, especially for our bigs. Yeah. That Boylan wasn't great, but as much as I wanted to see Kobe white start before he actually did, I mean, Kobe kind of had freedom to do what he wanted on the floor. He had a green light. I don't think, Jim Boylan necessarily hurt his development. Zach Levine, I think, has gotten a lot better. I'm also a Zach Levine believer um, currently right now on the co- current contract that he has. Even though he's not perfect, I think Zach has played well um, with Boylan in charge. So I think it's kind of just like it, it depends on the position. And uh, the offense was better for the guards, I think, than the bigs. And, and who knows what kind of offense and player development we'll we'll see from here on out but um you know it's everybody seems to like Chris Fleming and it seems like there was a lot to like and I don't know how much influence he had or didn't have so um maybe you know Boylan didn't want a ton of input from his assistants I don't know and maybe that'll change now from from Donovan and that's where we'll see a lot of player development from the assistant coaching side but yeah I think it, the answer is usually somewhere in the middle I hated Boylan but it's not like you could totally excuse the play of the players because at the end of the day they're still on the court you know making or missing shots and to sum up i think what you said really quickly zach levine probably looked as good under boylan as he's going to look under anyone yeah uh, yeah uh kobe white had a lot of freedom to do a lot of things maybe under boylan he developed a couple of bad habits but he also got the time to play through a lot of bad habits and mm-hmm. we saw him come out at the end of the year so probably he's not going to look a whole ton better just because he has a different coach and Wendell Carter had a, a lot of problems because of the coach. Didn't get a lot of opportunity to do things we think he was good at. And then Lowry Markkinen was a guy who got some opportunities, things that we think he should have been able to do well, but we think he also could have been used differently uh, in a way he would have been more effective. So maybe he has some upside, maybe not tons, but some. So kind of of those guys you mentioned, if I recap this correctly, we think Wendell Carter Jr. probably was impacted most by the coaching uh, Zach Levine and Kobe White probably actually had a positive impact on the coaching, maybe neutral to positive, and Lowry had like a minor negative impact on the coaching. Is that a maybe a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. fair. I think for Zach and Kobe, like not necessarily their, like you said, it was either neutral or positive. I don't know if I would say positive because it seems like they hated him, so that also doesn't you know, <laughs> That's like, probably true. <laughs> you know, like from a mental standpoint, it'll probably be better playing under a different coach. They'll be more willing to learn, listen to what he has to say. Yeah. But it seems like they had the freedom to kind of, you know, play their game. Uh, you know, so maybe if they have, if they're more willing to listen to a guy that they trust rather than somebody like Boylan, who they very clearly did not trust, you know, maybe some of the little imperfections um, they'll be able to pick up on a little bit more because they'll actually believe that the new coach knows what he's talking about. So maybe that'll help. Maybe they'll look a little, little bit better from that perspective. But yeah, I think that you summed it up pretty well that they were pretty much non affected from a as effective as you know perspective. That's going to be as you know effective as they're probably going to look. Um, I mean, Kobe's young. He'll grow. He'll he'll get smarter. He'll work on a ton of things. But I think Zach kind of you know is who he is to a, a certain extent. Yeah, I. It's funny because. 
when I asked that question, I had a, I had a lot of thoughts already, and they're pretty much exactly what you said. <laughs> you know, I, I I think I'm like I don't know why anyone thinks Kobe or Zach are going to have like massive improvements with a different coach. Could be something minor, like you said, the trust. That's a great point. Wendell, I thought was just completely misused, and I or maybe not misused, but did not get opportunities. And I, and I feel a different coach can get him opportunities, and we might see a considerable uptick. And and with Laurie, I thought the same thing. Like there's probably some things they could have done better, but there were opportunities he had. And he didn't take advantage of them very well. Uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. But I'm a, I'm a little bit more. It's kind of like neutral on Laurie. I think Wendell definitely could improve a lot with Donovan, and I thought Zach and Kobe. I don't I really expect a whole lot different. So we'll see. We'll see how it turns yeah. out, though. That's the great thing about uh, getting games. And you know, I thank you for just coming on the show. We've been here forever. Uh, you know, we uh, we talked. They said like maybe forty minutes. I think we're at like seventy five minutes now, <laughs> which is which is awesome. It means the conversation went great. So I appreciate you taking the extra time out of the day. Uh, it, it's it's really awesome. So just in closing, you know, let the people know where they can find you. I don't you know. If you want to pump your Twitter, your YouTube, whatever you got, <laughs> make sure they can find you because your content is great and, uh, you know, they should definitely check it out completely. Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, uh, I, I'm very active there. You can find me at Hardwood Herald. Um, time I post a video or anything, you know, I'm, I'm always linking stuff there. On YouTube, you could search Hardwood Herald. If you want to go to the draft stuff, you can, you know, just click playlists and I have 2020 NBA draft and. I think I have something like 20-ish prospects there, and it's all like super, super um, in-depth breakdowns on the, the positives and negatives and whatnot. And uh, I'm also not like preaching to you and speaking to you like uh, like a coach and trying to use all this vocabulary that sounds super smart, but is really just annoying. I'm trying to you know break it down <laughs> as easy as it possibly uh, as it possibly can. But um, yeah, and other than that, uh, if you really want a lot of in-depth draft coverage in in words. Uh, I released a magazine last Monday. Um, I did a limited run of physical copies, which I actually sold out, which I was very shocked by. But you can um, get the PDF-only version, and uh, you can find that linked on my website, uh, hardwoodherald.com. It's on the pinned tweet um, on my Twitter, again, at Hardwood Herald. And uh, besides myself, I also had a bunch of uh, really talented writers write stuff up about the draft and, you know, the art. Looks like Saved by the Bell, Nickelodeon, and like '90s Skateboard Magazine. It's really bright and colorful and keeps your attention. So um, it's something I'm really proud of. And uh, yeah, like I said, unfortunately I didn't print up enough because I didn't think anyone was going to buy it. But uh, we sold out of the first run, and I'm hoping to keep it going and, and do maybe like a quarterly thing of of uh, the magazine. So that's that's kind of the latest project that I had that I worked on. That is awesome. I, I actually was not aware of the magazine. I'm now totally going to go check it out. <laughs> That is that is tremendous. All right, Corey, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again next year for the draft and maybe sometime just during the season to, to chat about the Bulls again. Yeah, hey, thank you for having me. This was a, a, a ton of fun. Um, you know, I've been listening and, and reading your stuff forever, so it, it uh, you know, it feels awesome to uh, have done this finally. And, yeah, anytime you, uh, you want to talk, let me know, and I'm, I'm down to come on. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat, and I will talk with you all next week.